Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the February 20th, 2022 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, Shane Well, the leader of the Boxing Source. You can catch us through social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us. We will greatly appreciate it. We also do have the YouTube channel where you can catch interviews, uh, various interviews, uh, such as our recent ones uh, there with Albert Bell and French on Cruz Discern that's on the YouTube page right now. So check those out. Um, you know, you'll really enjoy those. Um, but you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. We really appreciate that as well. Um, for this particular podcast, uh, we got a good number of things that we'll talk about, uh, particularly what happened uh, on Friday and Saturday night. We had action on Friday night and we had action on Saturday night. Um, and then we'll Look ahead to what's uh, on the schedule for February 26th as uh, we have the undisputed super lightweight champion uh, putting his belts on the line. And also we have a fairly stacked card uh, that will be on Showtime uh, for you to watch out for. So uh, that is mainly what we are going to be covering in this particular episode. Hopefully we cover all of that uh, within a, a good duration and you know touch on all the subjects uh there with uh good precision so we're gonna get right at it um we gotta go over to the uk right and of course you had the uh big belt manchester arena uh as you finally had the long-awaited rivalry uh come to a head in the ring with americon and kel brook americon of course the uh, decorated guy uh, over in the UK, uh, coming from a Pakistani background, uh, you know, went to the Olympics and everything like that. Um, and, you know, had a fairly good career, particularly in the 140-pound division. Did have some fights from 147, uh, went up to 160 at one point in the fight. Canelo, and we know what happened there, uh, then went back down. Uh, but, uh, you know, he had... Like I said, an okay career. Um, didn't win a title, a world championship at 147. Uh, but, you know, had challenge for the welterweight title, the middleweight title, among others. Um, but uh, he had came in there, you know, with a record of 34 wins and five losses. And his opponent, the special one, as they call him, Kel Brook, uh, went in there with a record of 39-3. and three. Of course, he was the uh, IBF welterweight champion at one point, defeating uh, Sean Porter, getting the win over Sean Porter by decision. Um, and he also uh, moved up from the welterweight to the middleweight division to fight uh, a guy, Gennady Golovkin. Uh, ended up uh, getting stopped. Went back down to welterweight, uh, faced Earl Spence Jr. for that IBF welterweight championship and got stopped there. Um you know, and also had a uh, fight against Terrence Crawford, you know, uh, back in 2020 uh, and ended up getting stopped in that one, you know. Uh, so he had that record of 39 wins, three losses, and got stopped, you know, in all of those losses. Uh, so going into this particular bout, you know, you had, you know, Kel Brook, of course, with his uh, issues uh, with the eye socket, uh, having the, you know, titanium plate and everything like that. Amir Khan, 
uh, you know, with uh, the a majority of the losses that he had, he ended up getting stopped in almost all of them. Uh, so it was a fight that was long awaited over there in the UK. But, you know, of course, it was like seven, eight, nine, you know, maybe <laughs> 10 years too late or something like that for some people. But in the UK, they were really interested in this particular bout. Manchester Arena was sold out in <laughs> like what about an hour, an hour and a half, or something like that. So, you know, even though the, uh, both of the guys may uh, be considered way past their primes and things like that, uh, the fans over in the UK were really waiting for this particular bout to happen. Um, and going into it, you know, it was more about, you know, <laughs> who who would uh, kind of like falter uh, first. Um, and the thing about it was, is that in the first round, we kind of got a little bit of a message of what was to come as Kel Brook, you know, was um, going off his front foot, um, very consistent with his jab, more accurate with his jab, and, you know, more accurate with his uh, power shots, you know, um, and Amir Khan got rocked uh, in that first round, uh, had, you know, some issues as far as, like, uh, his footing, and he had uh, those similar issues throughout this particular bout. And, you know, you really didn't see much coming from American as far as, like, really affecting Kell Brook and what Kell Brook was uh, doing there in the ring. Um, you know, I, I did, you know, see that Amir Khan had been preparing for this particular bout with the trainer or the tutelage of Brian Bomack McIntyre. And yes, the WBO welterweight champion, Terrence Crawford, was in the camp there with Amir Khan. But uh, that, you know, particular preparation uh, ahead of this particular bout wasn't really much for Amir Khan at all. Uh, you know, he had some of the, um, you know, tools that he has had over the course of his career, but, you know, not anything that could really affect Kell Brook in this particular matchup. Uh, you know, he wasn't as accurate uh, with his uh, jabs and the combination punching, even though he was a faster fighter, um, but he wasn't the more accurate fighter. And so uh, Kell Brook just, you know, stayed patient, uh, stayed consistent in his approach against Amir Khan. And uh, he was able to, you know, affect Amir Khan over the course of rounds, breaking them down round by round and stuff like that. Uh, had, like I said, seriously hurt him uh, in the first round. Uh, had some moments there in the fourth round and in, in, in the fifth. And in in the sixth round, it was, you know, another uh, combination that had, uh, you know, sent Amir Khan back to the ropes. And this was like at the, at the beginning of that sixth round that, you know, set uh, Miracon backwards. And it just was a little bit uh, more as far as like the combinations uh, there by Kel Brook that forced referee Victor Laughlin to stop the bout within a minute of that sixth round, giving Kel Brook the victory uh, for him to score the 40th win of his professional career uh, registers as his 28th uh, victory by, you know, uh, KO or stoppage. And this was, you know, to him, it just seemed like it was immediately his most satisfying victory. I mean, even more than him 
winning that IBF title against uh, Sean Porter years back. I think that was like back in, shoot, what, like 2014, right? And, you know, we had those, uh, he had the win there in 2014, had defended the belt a few times uh, before going up against Golovkin and Errol Spence. But, you know, after that, he only had like about a few fights before he fought for the WBO welterweight championship and, you know, lost by a to Terrence Crawford. But he wanted that fight against Amir Khan, and he was able to finally get it uh, here in 2022. And uh, he just was way too much for Amir Khan or, you know, on the flip side, it just didn't really look like Amir Khan had anything at all uh, there for Kell Brook. So uh, you do have uh, Kell Brook winning by stoppage. Uh, was a, uh, I, I would say, a fairly easy victory. Um, you know, some could say it was a fairly easy victory there for Kell Brook. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll talk about more in reference to what Kell Brook may do here in the near future. But I'm going to get uh, an analysis uh, here from another guest uh, coming in here right now, contributor to the Boxing Source Radio Show. That's right. It is the boxing academic in the building. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, James? How you doing today, man? All good, man. All good. Uh, just, you know, starting off here with the, uh, you know, Khan versus Brook fight. Uh, you know, Kel Brook getting that uh, stoppage victory and kind of like, uh, you know, being very uh, gratified in reference to that. It's kind of like a closure in a sense to him because, you know, it was like all those years he felt like he was the better fighter uh, or better than Amir Khan. Uh, had really uh, tried to go ahead and try to get that fight with Amir Khan over the years, but never really got it. Uh, so it took uh, this long for him to uh, get this particular bout with his grudge match with Amir Khan. And, you know, like I said at, at the start, you know, both guys, you know, might, you know, say are way past their best. But, you know, Kel Brook just said that he was, you know, much more, you know, uh, I would say um, uh, fresher to, in a sense, than Amir Khan was because Amir Khan really just couldn't do much of anything uh, in this particular fight against Kell Brook here. So uh, that's what I got out of that uh, off the rip. What, what did you think about it, man? So I only saw the highlights. Uh, I didn't actually catch the fight, but from the highlights, yeah, it looked like a one-sided fight from the highlights, you know, I'm I'm definitely I definitely have a short-sighted view, but I would like to liken this too. So you made a comment. Kell Brook over all the years had this sort of, you know, uh thing on his shoulder to where he's like he wants to prove that he's the best. And I would ask, is it the same thing? Excuse me one second. Mm. Uh, well, yeah. is it, I'm sorry. Is it the same? Yeah. I thought I had to sneeze. Is it the same thing that happened between Roy Jones Jr. and Bernard Hopkins? If they both would have fought in a prime where, Kel, where uh, Amir Khan still had his speed, would we get a different outcome based upon Amir Khan being able to use his speed? Yeah, we all know his chance suspect. Maybe Carol Brook would have caught up to him. But would it have been the same sort of 
vibe that it was with Roy Jones and um and um Bernard Hopkins because let's just say Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins didn't fight when they were younger and they fought when they were older. What would be the prevailing thought on that? Knowing what we know now when they fought when they were older, because that would have happened anyway. Let's say they didn't fight when they were younger and they only fought when they were older and the outcome happened. What would have been the prevailing thought? Mm. Mm. I... My thing would be this. Um, hold on. Um, the thing with Roy Jones was like when it when they initially fought. Um, you know, both fighters were, you know, at middleweight. Um, and it was like you know not not soon after that, you know, Roy Jones ended up going up in weight. Uh, you know, having the thing a little stint at super middleweight before uh, having that light heavyweight reign. Uh, where he was, you know, undisputed champ there, like like heavyweight and whatnot. While, you know, for so many years, Bernard Hopkins had stayed at middleweight and eventually became the undisputed middleweight champion. So it wasn't like, you know, until much later in uh, Bernard Hopkins' career to w where he ended up going to uh, light heavyweight. So um, I'm not sure, um, you know, where it would have been at, probably a super middleweight, but you know, the level that uh, Roy Jones was at super middleweight to, you know, light heavyweight or whatnot, um, you know, it was kind of like levels, levels above. Um, you know, I kind of like liken it to when uh, Roy Jones fought James Tony. you know, uh, James Tony was, you know, technically sound, uh, so to speak, uh, was a very, very, very good fighter uh, there. You know, at that particular point, you know, um, but it was just a whole different uh, thing there when it came to when he uh, fought Roy Jones uh, there at the super middleweight division. And, and um, you know, that kind of like uh, that kind of like is what, what I kind of like liken it to is more like a Roy Jones and, and a, a Bernard Hopkins. I mean, not Roy Jones and Bernard, but a Roy Jones and James Tony. So. Didn't they fight three times? Roy Jones won the first time, and then Bernard Hopkins won the last two times? No, they only fought twice. Oh, twice. Yeah. Okay, I may be thinking of um, um, Roy Jones Tarver, and Antonio Tarver, yeah. Tarver, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tarver won by knockout the last two times, right? No, we won uh, by knockout in the in the second one, and it was decision in the third one because the third one was in Tampa. You know. And the first one, what happened? In the first one, the first one, uh, you know, Jones won by decision. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I mean, Tarver, that's that's even difficult. So I was assuming that uh, that I thought Bernard Hopkins won twice. But nevertheless, if they would have fought again, Bernard Hopkins still would have won. So all I'm saying is, if you judge them fighting when they were older, one would say that Bernard Hopkins is the better fighter. I get what you're saying if you take weight class into account, but let's let's keep it on the on the single level. Let's not add in the details that make my story not actually be true or not even be plausible. But I'm just saying, la la land to prove my point. They fought when they were older. Bernard Hopkins was his skill. 
overshadowed Roy Jones's skill when Roy Jones's excuse me, his technique overshadowed Roy Jones's technique when Roy Jones's skill sort of diminished his like natural skill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God given talents type thing, skill and talent. That's what I mean to say. So if we take that, we'll say that Bernard Hopkins was better, you know, later. But in reality, Roy Jones was the more talented fighter. But, you know, who had the, the longer longevity? Who had the greater longevity? So could this be a case of Amir Khan waiting too late and getting past his prime to what made him do better and be better? And in that case, Kell Brook gonna win seven, eight times out of ten. But if they would have fought earlier, the fact that he had all that speed, speed kills, you know, could could that have been the case? I mean, I I would. I'm trying to figure out like what would have been a good time there. Like if it was like that fight could have happened like within that point of 2014 and 2016. You know when you know, both of those guys were around there in the welterweight division, you know, and Amir Khan could have fought, you know, um, Kel Brook. And that could have been, you know, just have that as a, as a voluntary defense uh, for that IBF title before, you know, the uh, mandatory was called for uh, uh, Errol Spence. But, you know, Amir Khan went to the direction of, you know, fighting a, uh, Canelo Alvarez, uh, that was like in May of that year. And, uh, you know, that same year, 2016 was, you know, September was when uh, Brooke ended up fighting Gennady Golovkin. Um, So they could have had that, you know, instance in 2016 where they could have fought and we could have been like, you know, what if they would have fought at that particular juncture? Um, And at that point... I still would give it to tell. Even in 2016... Yeah, because, you know, what he showed against Errol Spence, even in losing, even in Gennady Golovkin in losing, mm-hmm. like, he, he, you know, he had a good account. He just didn't have enough firepower. Right. And, you know, physically, he couldn't, he couldn't take enough and his firepower overshadow what, what his body couldn't take. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, with, um, you know, both of those guys, uh, Glockin and Spence being, you know, naturally, you know, I would say naturally bigger than uh, Kell Brook, uh, that, you know, they just overpowered Kell Brook, you know, over in the latter portion of the fight. I uh, was, you know, more of like Kell Brook not being able to get away from both of those guys. And they ended up breaking them down uh, and then later stopping uh, Kell Brook. But, you know, someone like an American who, you know, yeah, he initially had his success in lower weight classes, uh, but, you know, he had never won a world championship in 147. I mean, that that kind of like says a lot, you know, as, as notable as American is to, you know, a lot of people, he had never won a world championship at 147, you know. Um, and, you know, with that, I think that, kind of like affects his career because, you know, with 147 being like the glamour division and, uh, and being one of the glamour divisions for like decades, you would think that Amir Khan would have tried to define himself at that particular division. But 
he didn't necessarily do that. Um, you know, he kind of had the, uh, what was it? Um, at that instance, he could have had a uh, point where he could have potentially fought like a Timothy Bradley, but, you know, Timothy Bradley ended up, you know, signing with top rank at the time to get uh, Manny Pacquiao. So for Amir Khan's sake, I don't see why he wouldn't try to go after Kell Brook when, you know, he, in those uh, years, tried to position for a fight against Floyd Mayweather, which, you know, that wasn't really going to happen. Uh, so there was that. This, this was after Kell Brook beat Sean Porter, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was after that because Brooke beat Porter in 2014. So, to answer your question, why he wouldn't go after that, did you see the guy that beat Sean Porter? Like, it was a competitive fight. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't remember the particulars, but I do remember, like, yeah, I'm leaning toward KO, but you know, I think that they might favor the home fighter here. I mean, it was a sloppy fight in a sense, but you know, um, you know, Kell Brook ended up edging that out, you know, um, and, and him kind of like getting that uh, particular decision. That was like a majority decision, you know. Um, you know, uh, one judge gave, you know, Kell Brook nine rounds in that particular fight, you know. I mean, I thought it was, you know, uh, crazy, but, you know, like I said, it was uh, two accidental headbutts uh, in that particular bout. And Kell Brook just, you know, kind of like outbox uh, Sean Porter to a certain extent in that fight. But, uh, yeah, after that, you know, I would have thought that, you know, Amir Khan could have tried to go after Kell Brook and could have, you know, they could have had that particular fight, um, so to speak, that could have really, you know, boosted up uh, the 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 U.K. um atmosphere so to speak as far as like building up to that fight uh as far as like how much money they could have gotten for the fight at that particular juncture but you know Khan just didn't want to visit that particular fight at that at that stage you know you know a fight that i think could be could make Khan some money he probably will get knocked out i mean where he's at he probably needs to just stop boxing because, you know, the level that he would fight would would be let's build a name off of him. He would fight fighters the way they put the names off him. But I'm mm -hmm. saying the fight that I think they could uh, – you tell me. Amir Khan, uh, Danny Garcia too. <laughs> Danny Garcia stops him again. And that's what I'm saying. I think he does, but out of all the people that's coming up, who does he have the best chance of, of probably not getting stopped and at least going 12 rounds with? Maybe not even Danny Garcia, but I'm just saying Danny Garcia older. So that's got to give him something. I don't know. He probably going to get, yeah, you're right. He probably going to get stopped. But I mean, everybody else, you can't put him up against Boots. That's like not cool. Um, You can't put him up against anybody else that's in that. Uh, Keith Thurman would knock him out. Keith Thurman would knock him out. I mean, who 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 could you put him up with in that, in the upper tier of welterweight that that he at least could last twelve rounds with? Uh, now that I don't see, I don't see who 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 that could be. You know, you go through. You know, like I said, you got uh, you got Errol Spence. You got, of course, Terence Crawford. He already fought. 
Uh, you got Keith Thurman. You got your Dennis Ugas. You got Boots Ennis. You got Virgil Ortiz. Um, you got, you know, maybe like Connor Ben. Um, you really don't have that many options uh, out there uh, for uh, uh, Amir Khan to where he would make money. Only other thing would be, you know, a Connor Ben fight, maybe. But Connor Ben, like I, I had talked about this earlier, like Connor Ben shouldn't really venture into fighting the likes of a of a Kell Brook or, you know, an American at this particular juncture. Like he's undefeated. He's had a string of good wins over the past uh, four or five that he's had, you know. Uh, so why not continue that momentum and try to get yourself in a position to fight for a world title later on down the line, you know? Uh, not, you know, talking about fights against Amir Khan or Kell Brook or uh, uh, Adrian Broner. Like, nah, that, you know, that really doesn't do much. I know that, you know, like a fight against David Avangian probably doesn't move the needle as far as like money is concerned. But like, what what do you get from, you know, fighting these other guys? Yeah, could be the money. But, you know, outside of that, what what else does it do for you, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, the thing is, if they're trying to springboard him and get him in the real conversation, I'd say having somebody like that on his resume is a good springboard for that. Even even though all of them are shells of themselves, mm-hmm. I don't think Agent Broner would get stopped. He at least, well, I don't know. Agent Broner getting old too now, so yeah, but. The thing is, like you said, Adrian Broner's never been stopped. And even in his losses, he's never been stopped. But he getting old, though. He he. You think he can do the same stuff he he has been? Well, I guess <clears throat> making sure you don't get knocked out is is a skill in itself. But how long can you keep going to that well before you get in front of a little young lion that that motor keep going and and your motor just you know only going at half like speed. Right. But, you know, the thing with, um, you know, with Broner is like, (laughs) it's just that he's been a high profile uh, fighter, you know, for a lot of years. He's had, you know, a good number of uh, notable fights over the course of his career, you know. Um, But, you know, it's not like he's up that far in age, though. You know what I mean? Um, True. So... Think about it is is that he he just you know had all of those uh, particular uh, fights you know <laughs> very very uh, early in, in in his career so that that's the thing with him man you know and I am probably over rating Connor Ben because he hadn't been tested like sure Chris Algieri okay is a good stepping stone but. We need to see him face some adversity. He hadn't faced that yet. Until he faced some adversity, it'd be very difficult for me to truly say what he's going to do. Right. Yeah. And the thing about it is, like with, with Connor Ben, you, it, it's not like they're putting him in against like a, like a you know, like a drum boost in this. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe he could be in the ring against uh, Jamal James or something like that. You know, Jamal James had the WBA regular uh, welterweight title, you know, um, you know, before, you know, he ended up losing to Radzab Batayev. So, you know, why not have, uh, 
kind of been face someone like that, you know, um, you know, that could really measure or, you know, see where he's at in, in the welterweight division. If he's not going to fight, uh, you know, um, David Avengian, I think Avengian's with another promotional company, rival promotional company. So uh, that fight might not happen, but, you know, still uh, for Conor Ben, he has to figure out how to uh, get himself in a position to, you know, be a viable contender for a world title. I mean, that's what, you know, these other young fighters are doing. That's what, you know, Booth Sinis is doing. That's what Virgil Ortiz Jr. is doing. So why not Conor Ben? So there's that. Um, on the note, back to, um, you know, Kel Brook, like, yeah, he has this uh, win over Amir Khan. It's, you know, kind of like a career-defining win, according to him. Um, you know, he had really been considering uh, retirement after getting this win, but now it seems like uh, he could maybe continue his career for a fight or two. One opponent that has been suggested is Chris Eubank Jr., uh, but that would be, you know, at uh, the middleweight uh, division. I know that uh, this particular fight between um, Brooke and Khan was a little bit north of 147 pounds. But, you know, having Kel Brook going up to 160 once again to fight someone like a Chris Eubank, you know, maybe uh, that might not be a good option for him. But if the money is right, according to him, he he, he would probably go for it, you know, so. So there's that as a potential option for Kel Brook, uh, for Amir Khan. You know, I think that, you know, he's kind of like did all he could do uh, there in, in, at welterweight. And, you know, he had been considering retirement. So maybe he just uh, says, hey, look, this might be it. You know, uh, there isn't really much else that I could do uh, in the sport. So I might as well, uh, you know, just uh, wrap it up. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, I think that that might be the uh, direction there for, you know, Amir Khan or whatnot. Um, uh, going going uh, past that, uh, you had like another fight that was uh, on the zone uh, was Jaime McGee against Demetrius Ballard. Uh, Jaime McGee, you know, former WBO 154-pound champion. You know, like like I was saying when this fight was announced, I was like, why isn't Jaime Munguia challenging for a world title at this point? Uh, he's going to he went up against Demetrius Ballard. Uh, Demetrius Ballard is, you know, from uh, Prince George's County, uh, undefeated, uh, coming into the bout. I think it was like uh, 21 wins, uh, zero losses, and one draw. Uh, he was uh, involved in the uh, undercard for Jaime Munguia versus uh, Gabe Rosado. Uh, you know, where he was able to get a win there. But uh, here against Jaime Munguia, he was doing pretty well uh, in the first couple of rounds, was landing well with the jab um, in a couple of right hands and, and working uh, the body pretty well uh, of uh, Jaime Munguia. But then uh, Jaime Munguia was able to respond and, and just uh, blitz uh, Demetrius Ballard in the third round, knock him down. Uh, with a good shot, uh, Ballard was able to get up. I don't know how he was able to get up. I thought it was seriously hurt uh, from those shots uh, that he took initially. Uh, he was able to get up from that. Uh, but then, you know, Jaime Munguia got him to the ropes and threw a combination, and the referee, uh, Juan Jose Ramirez, stepped in and stopped the bout, um, you know, within a one minute and 47 seconds in the third round. So 
Uh, Jaime McGee is now 39 and 0 with 31 wins by way of knockout. And he's still up there as the uh, top contender in the WBO. Uh, he is also the number one contender in the WBC. But I don't know when he is ever going to step up and fight for a world title. I think it might happen for the WBO if we actually get an announcement that the current WBO middleweight champion, Demetrius Andrade, moves up to 168 pounds and, and fights uh, Zach Parker. And if that happens, then you could have Jaime Munguia, uh there uh, fighting, who is it, Zanabek or Nim Hanuli or whatever it is, um, for the vacant WBO title. But I'm like, Jaime Munguia has been in the middleweight division for a good while now, man. It's been, you know, about a couple years or so. He had been a top contender for, you know, that whole time and had, you know, fought for a world championship. So uh, him in the middleweight division, I think it's like he's trying to wait it out to see if uh, the likes of, you know, um, like Demetrius Andre moving up to 168, um, you know, someone like, uh, you know, uh, Jamal Charlo moving up to 168. And then whatever happens with uh, Gennady Golovkin, uh, that he may end up moving up to 168 later this year. And I guess uh, Jaime McGee is just waiting for all of that to happen first before he steps up and, um, you know, tries to fight for a world title. But, you know, in the meantime, he was, you know, able to have a fight over in his home country in Mexico uh, there, uh, as he is actually from uh, Tijuana, Mexico. So he had a hometown fight against Demetrius Ballard, gets a third round stoppage victory. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, he has, you know, almost 40 fights and only had that, you know, one instance where he, you know, won the Super Welterweight title uh, over Saddam Ali uh, four years ago. Uh, but since then, uh, you know, it's kind of like he's been, you know, collecting wins, but nothing very uh, notable or over the top to kind of like say, okay, wow, he could really be a serious contender for being a top guy in the 160-pound division. It would have to wait until all of those guys that hold the world titles either move up or, you know, maybe retire or something like that. So uh, that's the thing with Jaime Munguia. Um Any thoughts about uh, – you know, that kid from Tijuana and uh, what he what he could possibly do in the middleweight division? Um, I mean, I honestly don't care. But <laughs> what I will say is that they were ripening Demetrius Ballard up for Jaime. And looking at his style and just, you know, like you could, you could tell it was only a certain level he could go to. So they were mm-hmm. just preparing him to you know to go in there and make it a run of the meal day and Jaime Munguia keep moving um anything next for Jaime I mean Jaime ain't really fought nobody for real did he lose once or he he won all his fights he's won all his fights 39 and 0 yeah Jaime got to fight somebody and that'll be some stuff if he actually Go up and get Demetrius Andre belt when he leave. Yeah, I mean Jaime. 
Jaime, okay, let me let me give Jaime some praise. Jaime's getting better. He he didn't show his getting better last fight because there was really no need to. But the fight before, you can see that he actually working on his head movement. Obviously, dude got a good motor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gonna stay far away from Golovkin. Um, you know, Canelo probably wouldn't even waste his time on him. Is yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see Jaime fight somebody. Yeah, I mean, you know, my thing is, like I said, you, you, they already had the 160 pound division kind of like booked up. Um, well, maybe uh, we're waiting on the announcement for, you know, um, uh, Gennady Golovkin uh, there to face Ryota Murata, uh over in Japan. And like I said, you know, we had the thing with uh, Demetrius Andre there trying to see when uh, he'll end up facing Zach Parker uh, later this year uh, there at 168. And then, you know, with uh, Jamal Charlo, yeah, uh, I mean, Jamal Charlo, uh, you know, he had been uh, considered as a potential opponent for Canelo Alvarez this year. Yeah, he had the uh, thing that stemmed up from uh, what happened uh, in the past with a family member that, you know, came back up uh, here. But, you know, we've had those particular uh, things happen with fighters before, um, and they were still able to get fights uh, and able to still get high-profile fights. Uh, so whatever they have with uh, Jamal Charlo, uh, that could get cleared up, and you could still potentially have uh, Jamal Charlo versus Canelo Alvarez in May. But... um who knows? May seem like uh, Canelo will end up facing Dimitri Baval uh, in, May, in May 7th and then in September, uh, Gennady Golovkin, and then still have the fight with uh, Jamal Charlo in uh, 2023. But, you know, in a sense, you still have in this middleweight division a uh, few of those guys that are out there and um, uh, things hadn't necessarily been uh, cleared up as far as like, okay, we hadn't had a unification bout at 100 pounds since Canelo has left that division. So why not, you know, try to have more of these uh, fighters uh, go up against each other, you know, um, and having uh, Golovkin versus Murata be that only unification bout at a uh, middleweight kind of like says, you know, says a lot there. So um, that kind of like a, Leaves a lot to be desired uh, there in the uh, middleweight division. You know what I mean? So uh, there is that. Now we'll talk a little bit more about the middleweight division and also action that's coming up next week. Um, But we will take a quick break here and then we will be right back. So... Yeah, we had talked about the uh, thing with um, the middleweight division um, and, you know, how there hadn't been uh, that many unification bouts uh, there at 160 pounds. Um, And, you know, now we had the whole thing with uh, Gennady Golovkin and Ryota Murata. um, And outside of that, uh, you really haven't had much as far as, like, uh, what went down uh, there in the middleweight division. Um, 
know, Jaime McGee is there. Uh, they say that he is like a top 10 uh, fighter at 160. But, you know, outside of those champions, you really don't have that much uh, depth uh, there at 160 pounds. Uh, so, um, you know, that was a uh, thing there that we had um, as far as like what's going on. So Jaime McGee having his win over uh, Demetrius Ballard you know, maybe doesn't necessarily move the needle too much. Um, you know, there was uh, a little bit of an incident, so to speak, at the uh, weigh-in the day before uh, where it said, like, you know, Jaime Munguia had struggled to uh, get down to that 160-pound uh, limit. And uh, soon after uh, that weigh-in, he had to lay down, had to, you know, get himself rehydrated, almost was, you know, in the hospital getting checked out or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, outside of that, <laughs> it didn't really take him that much to, uh, get himself back into it. And it was like a three round, uh, victory of three round stoppage, uh, there for Demetrius, I mean, not for Demetrius Ballard, but for Jaime Munguia. Uh, and like I said, he stays undefeated. He's now 39 and oh, you know, uh, so he's, uh, I guess he's going to see what happens. Uh, with the situation with the WBO uh, first, as the WBO had ordered uh, Demetrius Andre to fight uh, Zanabek, uh as his uh, next mandatory, which, you know, I, I just found that to be interesting that, you know, they had done that since Jaime McGee had been the number one contender, you know, for all of those years and had been the former WBO champion at 154. So, that usually puts you in position to fight for the world title in the next division up. So uh, with Jaime Magia, I guess not really uh, going for fighting for that world title, that kind of like affects things uh, there in, in reference to that. So uh, that kind of like uh, has uh, a um, bearing as to what happens there uh, in the uh, middleweight division. Uh, and moving forward, um, wanted to kind of like go into what's uh on slate uh next week. Uh, you do have Josh Taylor defending his titles against Jack Catterall. Uh, that's for the you know undisputed super lightweight titles. Uh, you also have uh Chris Colbert, uh, you know, that's supposed to uh get himself in the ring. He was supposed to fight uh Roger Gutierrez. Uh, and that was supposed to be for the uh, WBA uh, belt uh, there at 130 pounds. But with Roger uh, Gutierrez, uh, you know, now out due to a positive uh, COVID test, uh, now uh, looks like Chris Colbert will be uh, in the ring uh, next week uh, there against uh, Hector Garcia, Hector Garcia. Uh, is, um, you know, kind of like uh, rated, I think it's number five in the uh, WBA rankings. Uh, they're at 130 pounds. Uh, but, you know, it's not uh, quite, you know, what Chris Colbert was, um, you know, looking for uh, as far as like him trying to uh, be the world champion uh, there at that particular weight class. So we may have to, you know, wait a little bit more uh, to fight Roger Gutierrez is it wanted to keep that particular date uh, there for uh, that fight card. Uh, you also have 
Gary Antoine Russell going up against former champion at 140 pounds, Victor Postal. Uh, and that is one of the bouts that I'm looking forward to is uh, Gary Antoine Russell against Victor Postal, um, you know, to see where uh, Gary Russell uh, is at this particular point. You know, um, Victor Postal is, you know, ranked in uh, a few of these uh, sanctioning bodies. Um, and like I said, I mean, he's there, 31 wins, three losses, uh, you know, losing to uh, Terrence Crawford, you know, losing to uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez. Uh, I think it was uh, also Josh Seller that was able to beat him. Um, so uh, those, so this one here for uh, Gary Antoine Russell could be uh, something uh, really good for him. Also, is very solid, very uh, technically sound. Um, so we have to see where Gary Antoine uh, is at this particular juncture uh, in his career as, you know, he kind of waits to see what happens with the titles at 140 pounds uh, there. So uh, there is that. Um, Boxing Academic, are you still here with us? Let me see. Yes, I am. All right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what uh, happened uh, there. It was like a little bit of a uh, snafu or something. I don't know, man. Somebody like had the computer or something. I don't know, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we back in it. Um, and you know, like I said, that that's mainly the uh, schedule that's uh, uh, there ahead of us uh, for uh, February twenty sixth. You know. Um, I mean, one thing, I, I mean, that's that's all I'm kind of like looking at uh, here for that next weekend is, you know, maybe the Josh Taylor fight, uh, as he says, like, you know, he's going to have this one fight and then we got to see if he's going to stay at 140 pounds or move up to 147. And the thing there with Gary Antoine Russell and Victor Postal, you know, um, I mean, I want to see if uh, Gary Antoine Russell uh, is able to you know, showcase his skills there against Victor Postal. Uh, maybe he ends up stopping Victor Postal. Uh, see what that would mean as far as like sending the message there in the 140 pound division, which is, you know, fairly um, deep uh, there. You do have Subrio Matias uh, there in that uh, particular division. You know, uh, you still have Regis Prograce hanging around there at 140. Uh, you know, you have. Uh, even though he went up to 147, Mario Barrios is still up there. Uh, Jose Zapata's there with uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez. Uh, even uh, Teofimo Lopez says that he wants to campaign uh, there at 140 pounds. Uh, you also have Brandon Lee, Montana Love uh, there at 140. A good number of fighters are there at 140 pounds, are there, which includes Gary Antoine Russell. Uh, so for the next, um, you know, six to 18 months, we're going to see how the 140 pound division shapes itself out uh, there. So there is that um, one one thing uh, as far as like uh, boxing talk uh, that had been uh, hitting the waves over the course of the past week, week and a half was one thing that former two time welterweight champion and uh current uh commentator and podcaster himself showtime sean porter you know he had made a comment 
in uh, one of his uh, previous uh, podcasts uh, that he made the statement in reference to Jerome Boots Ennis that Jerome Boots Ennis is overrated. And that had really sent like shockwaves over the course of the uh, boxing uh, stratosphere, so to speak. Uh, because of course, Boots Ennis is there undefeated, very talented fighter. Um, you know, had really kind of like uh, shown out in his uh, previous, you know, past few bouts, so to speak. Um, and is kind of like on the verge of, you know, uh, facing or fighting for a world title. You know, um, they're trying to, you know, set up that bout between him and Casillo Clayton uh, for the. A mandatory spot in the IBF rankings, and if he has that fight and he wins that fight, then he would be the IBF mandatory. Uh, of course, IBF belt is held by Errol Spence Jr. Um, and Errol Spence has his uh, bout April 16th against Jordan Sugas. And if he gets through that particular bout and is the uh, unified champ with three belts, uh, he may have a choice of either uh, trying to go after Terrence Crawford for undisputed. Or IBF may call for that mandatory uh, challenge uh, for Errol Spence to face Jerron Boussinis. And think about it is, Errol Spence hasn't really had that many mandatory defenses of the IBF title. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he had fought Carlos Ocampo, um, and that was a you know, a mandatory defense uh, there, so to speak, uh, for the IBF belt. But, you know, ever since then, uh, he, you know, has had his uh, fights. Um, uh, what was it? You know, of course, he had the Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia, and Sean Porter, you know. So ever since uh, that particular uh, bout with uh, Carlos Acampo, he really has not had a IBF mandatory defense, you know, uh, they had held it back for, you know, a few years or so. Um, and the, uh, guy that, uh, was the IBF mandatory, uh, Abdul Kakarov, uh, ended up losing to Cody Crowley last year. So Abdul Kakarov is removed from those IBF rankings. And now it's just a matter of, okay, who's the top ready contenders out there. And Jerome Boots in his, is up there uh, around the uh, top uh, of those rankings. And, you know, you also have uh, Virgil Ortiz as a, a, a highly ranked contender there. Connor Ben is in there, uh, but also Casillo Clayton. So all of those guys are undefeated. Uh, Virgil Ortiz is facing Micah McKinson in, uh, on March 19th. Uh, we already talked about Connor Ben, so He's kind of like out of it. So there's Casillo's Clayton. And that's how uh, that particular bout has uh, kind of like uh, sorted itself out. So we got to see how uh, that is going to be formally announced. And like I said, if Boots Ennis gets that bout and wins that bout, then he's going to be the IBF number one contender. And the IBF usually is very strict when it comes to their mandatory challengers. But it's just that for the welterweight division, it hadn't quite been the case so to speak so uh there is that um but uh boxing academic any comments about you know what sean porter said about uh boots in his um 
you know, before I elaborate on that and what's happening with the IBF situation? I can't speak on the polarizing. He's overrated. But what I will say, if we judge everybody off of their potential and what they could do, it'd be a lot of greats in the world, you know. So my same comment to whoever I said it earlier, maybe it was Jaime. Maybe, no, it wasn't Jaime. It was whoever I said didn't face any adversity. Connor Ben? Connor Ben, yeah. I say the same thing for Bootlinders. I got to see, like, okay, it's a little bit easier to say because he has a lot of physical attributes. And I would just just go to say that his his uh, athleticism might translate on the basketball court if I just had to, you know, guess. At the same time, yeah, we got to see him show and prove. We got to see him do something. And until then, it's speculation. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far to say that he overrated, because he better than a lot of other prospects to where he getting mentioned as a contender with the amount of you know, with the amount of of like the body of work he has. He getting mentioned as a contender with the with the body of work. Could that mean mm -hmm. it's too premature? Maybe, or it could just mean that his skill level. Dictates what people say, like, okay, you this good. Let's see. Let's see how good you are. But until he fights somebody, we can't crown him. And, you know, I'm pretty consistent with that with anybody. I, I was saying this with Errol Spence a couple years ago, mm -hmm. Terrence Crawford up until recently. Yeah. He yeah. got to fight somebody. Yeah, and the thing is, is like, you know, I kind of like um, talked about it. Um. The the term usually well it's not really uh, overrated. Um, probably should have said like unproven. Um, and the thing about it is that you know the guys that you know he's kind of like went through. Um, you know some people might not like kind of rate those guys that high uh, in the welterweight division. Um, so thing about it is is that. Uh, yeah, we do have to see uh, Boots Ennis against, I guess, one of these uh, more proven guys or whatever it is. But at this particular juncture, I'm not sure if those guys will do that unless it fits a situation where there is no choice. You know, I, I'm not seeing, uh, you know, Keith Thurman doing that, uh, you know, even before, you know, uh, Sean Porter retired. I wasn't seeing Sean Porter doing that. Um, you know, the thing about it is, it's like, yo, why, why would they go do that when they could, you know, fight for a world title if they could fight for a world title and get the money that they would want to get, you know, in comparison to fighting the boots in it, that'll be less money, uh, that if they end up losing, you know, that really takes them down the pecking order. And if they lose badly, then that really takes them down the pecking order. So that was kind of like the thing there with that. Um, and for me, when it comes to the welterweight division, um, I don't see the welterweight division as deep as some people may think it is. You know, um, I had, you know, named guys on the list already. You know, you got, you know, the champions, Spence, 
Crawford Ugas. You got Keith Thurman. And people don't know what point Keith Thurman is at this particular juncture of his career. So then after that, it's, you know, Bruce Ennis. It's Virgil Ortiz. Um, and then if, if, if I go over uh, the fighters that are ranked in the Ring Magazine rankings, you got... Iman Astanionis, you got David Avangian, you got Radzai Butayev, you got Connor Ben, and you got Cody Crowley. Those are the five guys that they kind of like put uh, there in the bottom five of the ring rankings. And I mean, I'm not sure if people are saying, whoa, when it comes to those guys that I named uh, in, in those uh, in the bottom half of the top 10, you know? So. Boots Ennis, uh, you know, unless if he fights one of those guys, like I said, a, a Keith Thurman or, you know, maybe a Dennis Ugas or uh, Crawford or Spence, he won't have, I don't think he'll have that particular moment uh, where he could say, hey, I had this I had this victory over this guy. Um, it might just end up being to the sense of we're going to wait until whatever happens with Errol Spence your Dennis Ugas and Terrence Crawford. And then once that clears itself up, either those guys are going to move up to 154 or they're going to call it a day. And then you're going to have whoever's left there at 147. And those are going to be the guys that kind of, that will, that uh, Boots Ennis will face. And if he stays there at 154 for a little while longer, he could clean He could probably clean out that division and then move up to 154. But as of right now, it will be a good little minute before a Jerron Ennis has that particular fight that says, okay, he stands out above all of these other guys. Translation, Boots got to wait his turn. Correct. Correct. And it, and it almost seems like the this, uh, this similar situation that Errol Spence Jr., was dealing with at a particular point when he wasn't a world champion and he had to go through that same route that Jerome Boots Ennis is going. He had to put himself in a position to be a mandatory challenger for one of those championships and then had to wait a little bit before Kell Brook faced Gennady Golovkin. And then after having that fight, then... Kell Brook went back down to 147 to face Errol Spence. So now here we are, you know, years later, and Jerome Bucinis is looking like the guy, you know, the next guy coming. And like I said, it looks like he's going to have to wait his turn, just like, you know, someone like Errol Spence had to wait his turn. So that's kind of like how that works out. It's unfortunate, but, you know, it ain't no incentive for nobody to fight him. The guys that, that would make him quotation marks relevant, mm -hmm. relevant in terms of like rankings and stuff, not relevant in terms of his uh, position and skill, but uh, relevant in terms of being a relevant piece of the conversation. It's no incentive. Everybody else can pay their dues. Would I like to see them fight him? Yeah, in a fanciful world, but it don't make no sense for Keith Thurman to fight him. Unless Keith Thurman on his way out and, and ain't trying to get no more belts and stuff like that, it ain't, ain't no reason for these guys to fight him. Like, I don't like that, but 
I just I just don't. He got to beat the Stanionises and stuff like that. Clean them out, which is not going to happen because they're going to keep those guys far away from him. I think he's in a, a precarious situation because the, the top guys ain't going to fight him. And then most of those guys who, like, at his level aren't going to fight him either because he'll beat them more than likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I was saying, um, you, you have those guys that had that are below uh, Bootsinus in, in the uh, ring rankings. Um, Virgil Ortiz is, you know, fighting Michael McKinson, uh, trying to position himself in that WBC. Um, and, and you have Stanionis and Butayev uh, there in the WBA. Um, evasion, you know, could, could, could have, you know, potentially fight like, like I said, a Connor Ben, but they're part of uh, two rival promotional companies in the UK really ain't seeing that happen. And David evasion is actually, uh, fighting on March 19th, you know, um, uh, and, you know, it's against, you know, somebody that's not really much in the rankings in any, uh, of the sanctioning bodies, so it's just some something like a filler fight in 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 uh, some way uh, for David Evangelion. Uh But you know, Conor Ben's there, Cody Crowley's you know there. Um, you know, you might have a few other uh, fighters uh, there. Abel Ramos uh, is there, uh, and um, like I said, Keith Thurman uh, still out there. But Keith Thurman is like, hey. If we don't have like a fight between uh, Spence or you know Ugas, the Spence Ugas winner against Terence Crawford, then I could face you know either one of those guys. And then outside of that, you know what else is out there? You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I'm not seeing like what other options there could be there for a Boots Ennis. Um, and it, you know once he has his fight against Casio Clayton, uh, that's you know, I think they're having it for March 9th. He gets there and he gets that win. Then it's like, okay, what are they going to do next? Um, I know that there is like some type of a situation uh, with uh, the uh, uh, the promotional deal that he's under, I, I think. Uh, but, you know, in a sense, I think that if they could try to get Boots Ennis in a situation where he is has enough interest from the fans and you know and I would say hey have him in a fight and have him be a headliner you know um originally I thought that you know they were trying to have um Boots Ennis versus Casillas Clayton as a co-feature um, to, I think it's uh, the um, thing with uh, Sebastian Fundora uh, going up uh, there against um, against Erickson Lubin, you know, and that that would be the main event, and that Boost Ennis versus Casil Clayton would be the co-feature. But if there was a situation where you know they could flip it. And have Boots Ennis as the the main event, then they could say, "Hey, 
people are going coming out here to see Boots Ennis. And this is what they're, you know, willing to do or willing to pay, or they're going to, you know, kind of like tune in on Showtime to see Boots in his fight. Unless if, you know, these other fighters see that Boots Ennis has enough that he could bring in a lot of money, then they're not going to be that much interested in fighting Boots Ennis. Like you said, high risk, low reward. So... Unless if they try to get something to increase the reward for fighting Boots Ennis, then you're not going to see a Keith Thurman or a Terrence Crawford, an Errol Spence, or your Dennis Ugas fighting a Boots Ennis anytime soon. Or at least I don't see it. You know? Not unless they go under Eddie Hearn, who would make a fight, who would make a fight like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, if uh, Access Industries is willing to invest their money into trying to get those guys over there, you know, um, Access Industries has a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. They actually recently put in uh, billions of dollars towards uh, the DAZN app. Uh, But that's from a worldwide perspective. That's not just for boxing. Um, That's one thing that, you know, people got to. Realize the zone shows soccer, boxing, football in other countries, um, baseball, basketball in other countries. They they you know get the rights to you know other sports in various countries, including this, to, in order to show it uh, outside of the U.S. So that's kind of like how uh, that particular network kind of like works in that sense. Uh, but as far as like the overall budget for boxing. That's just a drop in the bucket, so to speak. So if uh, they say, hey, Matchroom Boxing, Eddie Hearn, we'll give you this amount of money to try to make this fight happen, hey, maybe they could do that. I mean, shoot. You know, Eddie Hearn lucked out and was able to get the um, fight between uh, Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosis, you know. Um, but, you know, other than that, you got to see uh, what what else that they could do uh, there for Matchroom, especially uh, here in the U.S., because they really don't have that much depth uh, as far as, like, uh, who they could uh, use and promote and, you know, push out there uh, from that perspective. Um, they do work with one particular person uh, that's lightweight in Devin Haney. And, you know, right now it looks like, we are not necessarily getting a fight between Devin Haney and George Cambosis. It almost seems like we're leaning towards George Cambosis fighting Vasil Lomachenko. You know, it's not official. Um, hasn't been official. Uh, but, you know, we hadn't really seen anything that says like, hey, George Cambosis is fighting Devin Haney for the undisputed lightweight championships. And that was uh, one of the things in in the newswire that kind of like stood out was like you had a whole lot of back and forth between the parties of Devin Haney and George Cambosis, almost like, you know, they were trying to, you know, get a fight put together. Uh, But then now they're saying that potentially uh, you could have a multi-fight deal with, George Cambosis fighting Vasil Lomachenko. 
And if, you know, George Cambosis fights Vasil Lomachenko and loses, that he could invoke the rematch clause, you know, and have two fights. Um, and I think that, you know, that is kind of like what they were trying to lean towards is a multi-fight deal for George Cambosis, you know, so that he could get the most lucrative deal out of what he has by winning uh, those uh, world championships when he defeated Teofimo Lopez. So it was like the option of, okay, you could fight, you know, uh, 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 Devin Haney, you could fight uh, Vasil Lomachenko, you could maybe fight a Ryan Garcia, you could fight a Gavante Tank Davis or whatever it is. Uh, but it's more about like, one, does he really want to uh, defend those world titles in Australia? And how much would it take for him to have uh, those uh, belts be defended in Australia? You know, and what opponent would make the most sense financially to, you know, make that happen? So that's kind of like how that breaks down. And, and as of right now, um, it looks like it's more favorable towards George Cambosos fighting uh, Vasil Lomachenko. Uh, there for those belts. Uh, uh, I, don't know, I haven't seen where it was, you know, like official in that particular sense. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of like what it's, uh, you know, leaning towards uh, here right now is that, you know, George Cambosis is uh, going to face uh, Vasil Matenko instead of uh, uh, Devin Haney, you know. Um, you know, it looked like, you know, they're trying to set it up for uh, June 4th. Uh, against Vasil Lomachenko uh, would be in Australia over in like Marvel Stadium. Uh, and reportedly, I don't know if it's confirmed or not. I don't know because it's uh, what I'm seeing it from is from uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mike C, who has not been very, uh, very uh, reliable in a sense uh, when it comes to news recently. Uh, so we have to see if it's going to be official that uh, George Cambosis would fight Vasil Lomachenko on uh, June 4th over in Australia. But if that does happen, then it would be, once again, another instance where Vasil Lomachenko ends up being, quote-unquote, preferred to fight for at least one world title over Devin Haney. Um, years ago, a few years back, 2019, could have had Devin Haney versus luke campbell for the vacant wbc title at that time and that didn't happen it ended up being vasil Machenko versus uh luke campbell and now here we are years later and we could have the same instance happening again uh there so it's kind of like a bad break in a sense for devin haney uh but there may be uh some other issues going on uh with the haney camp uh that i heard over the course of the week um hopefully that does uh situate itself out but Still, it looks like uh, Haney is just getting a uh, bad break, so to speak, there, man. Um, boxing academic. Anything on that uh, lightweight situation in uh, Lomachenko, uh, I guess, getting one, another shot at those world titles? The rich get richer. Hmm. Yeah, I find that. I find, <laughs> actually, that's an interesting comment. Uh, because, you know, for me, Vasil Lomachenko as an opponent is, quote-unquote, the most affordable opponent for George Cambosis. 
um, like someone like a Devin Haney, uh, does kind of like command a, a pretty good purse for his fights. Um, you know, someone like a Ryan Garcia would, would kind of command a pretty hefty purse for his fights. Um, and I didn't even mention Gavante Tank Davis because it's Gavante Tank Davis and nobody, I don't think, like nobody in the in the uh, lightweight division uh, makes as much as Tank Davis does. No, he don't. So it's more about who's more affordable. And it looks like it's Vasil Machenko at this point is more affordable. You know, so that's, that's what we've got there. Can I resend my statement? And uh, re re revise it. All right. The powerful get more powerful. How about that? That that's more. That's yeah. what I win. Yeah. Not there we go. Yeah, that'll the powerful that'll get more powerful. Thank you there for you clarifying for me. There you go. Yep. That 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 that's it. That's it. You know, uh, once you uh, have uh, somebody uh, by the name of a Bob Arum, uh, that those people and he makes moves then that's how you know someone like Vasilomachenko is able to get himself in position to have these fights you know even though he has you know lost multiple times uh and has lost in the lightweight division uh but yet he faces uh you know uh uh, uh a Richard Comey you know he faces uh Masayoshi Nakatani and for some reason, those two bouts kind of, I guess, warrant him facing George Cambosis in, in, in some people's eyes. In comparison to a guy that's a world champion, a guy that had defeated Jojo Diaz, you know, a guy that had defeated Jorge Linares, you know, uh, last year. But yet that doesn't, you know, Get him a spot to face George Cambosis for the undisputed lightweight championship. So, you know, those kind of like all the breaks uh there in that particular sense. So we'll we'll see how that develops. Um, not sure uh if that's gonna be official or when that becomes official, but like I said, uh that initial report came from somebody that had a big miss as far as like a uh particular news tidbit over the course of the week which i'll touch on here uh it's last part um you know we had a little instance where you have as uh one person likes to call him el campeon saul canelo alvarez um considering two fight deal from two different you know networks or areas one was going to be um Two fight deal. First fight against Jamal Charlo. Second fight against David Benavidez. And the other side was first fight with Dimitri Muval. Second fight with Gennady Golovkin. Um, one particular reporter uh, said that Canelo Alvarez had, uh, you know, made the decision or was leaning towards the decision that he was going to face Dimitri Muval on May seventh. And Gennady Golovkin in September. Uh, but that was shot down by Saul Canelo Alvarez himself saying that, hey, um, 
I hadn't made any decision yet on who I'm facing. So not sure where you got this report from, but uh, as far as like me and uh, my trainer and pretty much manager, Eddie Reynoso, we haven't said anything yet. So that kind of like shot that down. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not sure what direction he goes, um, but he could potentially fight all four of those guys, you know, I would say if he would, you know, say say he goes against uh, Dimitri Bavall and Gennady Golovkin, he could fight those two guys, beat those two guys, and you still would have Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez there in 2023. You know, Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez are, you know, in, you know, in, in a combination younger than having uh, Dimitri Bavall and Gennady Golovkin. So why not, you know, have – those four fights, hey, you're guaranteed at least $100 million or around that range for both of those, uh, you know, packages. So why not just say, hey, I can fight these two guys first and I can fight these two guys later and I still get paid over $100 million pretty much for, you know, two fights in 2022 and 2023, you know. Um, of course, for me, you know, I, I would not necessarily be in favor of Gennady Golovkin having another fight with Canelo Alvarez. Um, there have been a few media folks that have tried to push for that third fight. I never wanted to see a third fight. Was never interested in a third fight. Still ain't interested in a third fight. Um, and Especially right now, given Golovkin's, I would say, his status. He is kind of like on the downturn, definite downturn. And um, I guess the only thing would be if uh, Golovkin and, and Canelo face each other for a third time, that this could potentially be the instance where Gennady Golovkin ends up getting stopped. That would be the only thing that I could see happening if that particular fight does take place. Because Gennady Golovkin, if, we, if you all saw him against... Um, uh, or in his last few fights or whatever it is, like he, you know, didn't necessarily look all too hot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, and, you know, there was like one instance where it almost looked like uh, uh, that he 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 wouldn't have made it through one of those bouts, you know? And, and this is, a, you know, about where, you know, he was uh, going up against, uh, Sergey Derevianchenko for the IBF middleweight title, and he barely got through that fight. I thought he lost that fight. They gave him the decision. I thought he lost that fight, uh, but you know, after that, he hasn't really had that much activity. Only the one fight against Camille Zerometa. Uh, yeah, he's slated to face uh, Ryota Murata, uh like I was saying before, uh, but he goes against Murata. They're, they're gonna have to go ahead and try to have that fight uh take place asap because if uh canelo plans to fight on may 7th and then fight again in september Golovkin's gonna have to have that fight against Murata uh asap and if uh japan doesn't you know uh <laughs> like take those restrictions down or uh 
kind of like uh, eases up on them restrictions, then it's going to be a good little minute before uh, Golovkin gets in the ring. Is he in camp? Yeah, he's in camp, but they hadn't made no announcement as far as like when he's going to fight next. So uh, there is that. Um, but as far as with uh, Canelo, he got a myriad of options. He's Canelo Alvarez. He can fight anybody he wants, basically. He's the cast guy uh, in the sport of boxing. So uh, wherever he goes, the majority of um, uh, boxing goes as far as like the 168, 175-pound division uh, goes there. So so there is that. Um, that That's pretty much what I have in, in, for Canelo. Uh, boxing academic, what what do you think uh, Canelo uh, might do or should do in this case? So I was doing two things, so I didn't hit a particular. So I'm going to ask one question, then I'll answer your question if that's okay. All right. Um, so do they have numbers associated with both deals, with the B-Vol, GGG, and the um, – um, what's the, the other one? Charlo, uh, Charlo. And Benavidez, right? Yeah. Okay. Do they do they have numbers associated with both? Is it equal? Well, it's, it's estimated numbers. Um, is it equal? It's supposed to be around equal, uh, but apparently, according to Samson Lekowitz, who is the major promoter for David Benavidez, he says that the offer for Canelo to fight Benavidez was more than $50 million, apparently. So that would mean that the guarantee for a two-fight deal with uh, Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez would be northwards of $100 million and could have reached possibly, I guess, uh, $110 million. Uh, but Versus the, sense, the other one. And the other one is just mainly that, you know, one hundred million dollars or something like that, you know. Okay, and so ten million dollar difference. Pretty much around that range, yeah. Give or take. So equal yeah. or or a ten percent difference, if that. Right. So my thoughts on that are I got a long windy road and I'm driving and I'm sleepy. And I can drive down the long windy road and get to my destination or I can hit the freeway and take a straight shot. No cliffs, no curves. I uh, drove from Atlanta to Huntsville earlier, the earlier this last week. And the route we always take is, is around cliffs and over hills and stuff. Mm. And I asked myself, you know, if I was sleepy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare drive this, you know, because it, all the perils that could happen, with, with being in an unideal situation, which, which is make me say, even if the drive on the freeway was just a tad bit longer, 15, 20 minutes longer, I would take that one for the safety. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was trying to be great, okay, this was, this was my analogy kind of goes back to boxing. If I was trying to be great, which one would I choose? I would choose the one that gave me more for my legacy. But in regards to back to my driving example, if I'm getting to the same destination, you know, the money, and I ain't really too much worried about the legacy, quotation marks, uh, for self-preservation, I would see him taking the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. I hope Canelo 
proves me wrong in my hunch and says he's going for the legacy and he knows that he can beat those guys, whether it's by, you know, making sure you get a judge that give you the right score or whatever it is, he knows he can beat them guys. I, I mean, I already got a lot of respect for Canelo. Canelo has earned what he's gotten. Quite naturally, he's favored, you know, he handsome, so the women like him. Um, he's learning to, well, he already knew how to speak English, but he's speaking more English, which means that they're making a concerted effort to sell him to a bigger population, mm-hmm. i.e. Right. more dollars. Exactly. So I would have, you know, just I would just have to take my hat off to him again if he chooses the the road least taken. But do I, my hunch, he would have some big gonads if he chose the road less taken, less traveled. I want him to choose the road less traveled. And and if he beat both of them guys, we got to stop with the, you know, like he, maybe he do deserve a few light touches. Maybe he do deserve. If he fight both of them guys, shit, maybe he deserve a few light touches, you know? Like, maybe Errol Spence deserve a light touch. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not taking it off Errol Spence. Mm-hmm. Maybe Sean, Sean Porter had a light touch with that smelling guy, with that, uh, you know. Sebastian Formella. Yeah, him. He had a light touch with him. But you get what I'm trying to say. Like, if he fights these guys, maybe he deserves a light touch. Terrence Crawford still got to fight a few more people before we start saying he got a light touch because he's been fighting light touches. I, I love Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford may end up with, with the smoking gun after everything said and done. But as far as Canelo, if he fight them guys, man, I'm going to have a lot of respect for him, even just taking the fight, because it's not guaranteed to win. Now, mm-hmm. path of least resistance, which one will most people choose? The path of least resistance. So, we'll see. Well, uh, you know, I'd say the thing with the um, uh, the road thing that you were talking about, um, for Canelo, it would be the option of are you going to take the straight shot or are you going to take the scenic route? Or, you know, in a sense, if you're going to go on an interstate, are you going to, you know, go straight through or are you going to hit a rest stop, you know, along the way or, you know, hit a hotel, motel, holiday inn, uh, you know, to rest up before you uh, continue the trip? Um you know, I think that people feel like the path of least resistance or the one that Canelo would be more favored in their in his fights against are the ones against Dmitry Baval and Gennady Golovkin. Um, you know, you do have uh, Jamal Charlo. Yes, it would probably it would be his first fight at 168 pounds, uh, but he's, you know, young guy, fairly young guy, uh, someone that kind of comes down to 160 pounds he's a pretty you know he's pretty solid guy um you know before he goes down in weight um and he's a fairly you know fairly skilled guy himself you know um so that would you know kind of like pose a challenge there for Canelo Alvarez and of course with David Benavidez Benavidez is kind of like long been considered uh the guy at 168 that would pose the biggest challenge to Canelo Alvarez. Uh, so um, that to me is where you kind of like see him uh, being a real challenge for Canelo Alvarez. If he does uh, uh, fight 
uh, Jamal Charlo and ends up winning, then he would fight David Benavidez next. Um, and it, then there's that. Uh, but, you know, like I said, with um, with the option of Demetri Baval and, and uh, Gennady Golovkin, uh, it's more likely that Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez would be available in 2023 than Dimitri Baval and Gennady Golovkin. So uh, why not go for, you know, that guarantee first uh, you would have uh, with Baval and Golovkin, and then later on down the line you face uh, Jamal Charlo and, and David Benavidez. Uh, so I think that uh, if he does lean that direction with uh, Baval and Golovkin, then I mean that that would be how it goes. Uh, from my um, from a financial perspective, of course, you know Canelo would get the guarantee, so it doesn't matter, you know, for him in that sense. But for the networks, they would have to think about okay, how are we going to sell this to people? You know, um, when it comes to the thing for the zone, uh, there was you know consideration that the zone would have. A pay-per-view package on top of what they're doing uh, with their monthly subscription or whatever it is. So it kind of like would be like an ESPN Plus, you know. ESPN Plus has their thing that you know they pay, uh, people pay you know five ninety nine a month or whatever the price is for ESPN Plus, but then you still have pay-per-view. That's kind of like how you had um, the fight between Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter. That was, you know, ESPN Plus pay-per-view. So uh, for The Zone, it would be that same instance uh, if they have Canelo versus Demetri Baval and then Canelo versus Golovkin, it would be like a The Zone pay-per-view package, so to speak. Um, now, those that, you know, do have The Zone or have heard of The Zone and whatnot and kind of like uh, purchase things through The Zone would not be, uh, you know, I don't think they would be happy with that, but that's kind of what they uh i think that's what the zone would need to do in order for them to make money off of this so that's kind of like what the direction would be if canelo says hey i'm going to face Demetri baval and gennady golovkin then it's going to be the zone pay-per-view that's that's going to be how it goes especially when the last year canelo alvarez faced caleb plant that was on pay-per-view and Showtime pay-per-view had 800,000 or so pay-per-view buys for that particular fight. So if you know that he's that successful fighting Caleb Plant, then <laughs> y'all are going to have to, y'all y'all are going to break the bank and y'all are going to have to, you know, go all in as far as like, you know, marketing, uh, advertising the event and trying to get that money back. So I think for Canelo's sake or uh, uh, his, his uh, decision, if he if he goes with uh, Baval and Golovkin, I wouldn't be surprised one bit because you would still have those other fighters down the line, or at least most likely he would. Uh, but if he does go with uh, Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez first, then I think uh, a good number of people would really – you know, kind of like tip their head off to Canelo Alvarez if he does go that route first. Because either way, um, and this was kind of like posted over the course of the week, like he's going to end up getting criticized anyway for whatever decision he makes. Because, you know, when when you're a top guy, you know, like Floyd Mayweather was, 
like Oscar De La Hoya was, you know, um, there's always going to be some fighter that they come up with that they say that you're quote unquote ducking or not fighting. So regardless of who Canelo ends up fighting, there's going to be critics anyway. Um, but in his sense, he's going to be making lots of money regardless. So, uh, whatever direction he goes, um, that's going to be, uh, his decision. I think with alongside his, uh, uh, buddy there, Eddie Reynoso, and they're going to, you know, stick with that. So that's going to be how that, how that situates itself. All right. Um, you know, with that being said, uh, covered, uh, most of everything there. Um, you know, we had, uh, action that was on uh, Friday night. Uh, that was part of Showbox. Uh, you had, um, Paul Crawl against Marquise Taylor, uh, that ended up in a draw. Um, where a lot of people felt like Marquise Taylor won that particular fight. Marquise Taylor was just jabbing, jabbing up Paul Crawl, uh, was landing well to the body. Um, and Paul Crawl really didn't make many adjustments over the course of the eight rounds. Um, where and the decisions just had it where uh Marquise Taylor had one scorecard where he shut out Paul Crawl, and another scorecard had Paul Crawl winning 77 to 75 and then one uh, thing of 76 to 76. So an 8 to 0 card in one side, a 5 to 3 card on the other side, and then 4 to 4 even on the other side. So it ended up being a split draw. And a lot of people felt like Marquise Taylor won that fight. Uh, Jermaine Ortiz uh, defeated Nahir Albright. Um, Jermaine Ortiz there in the lightweight division is another guy that kind of like watch out for in the lightweight division. Um, young, uh, young contender out there at lightweight, uh, it was very solid in this fight against Nahir Albright. Uh, Albright, uh, was like overwhelmed in the first half of the fight. Kind of like was getting back into it in the second half of the fight, but nothing to really, uh, shift the scale over to where, uh, Albright would have had an advantage in the fight. So Jermaine Ortiz has scored a unanimous decision victory uh, there in that particular bout. And that was uh, the Showbox uh, New Generation card that was on Friday night. So um, that that covers like everything that I needed to cover here. Uh, this particular uh, episode, we'll get back at it on uh, Sunday. Uh, thank the Boxing Academic for joining here in this particular episode, like I say, at the end-